And so with that, I ask you to go with me to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that you are a great God, that you are a God that cares for us deeply, that you care so much that we can come to you with any request we may have, whether we think it's large or small. God, you care about them all. And so we leave those things that are worrying us, those things that bother us, those uh, sicknesses that need to be healed, those relationships that need to be healed. God, we leave them in your capable hands. We know that you are our healer. And so we pray healing over those with sick bodies. We pray healing over those who have sick souls, who need you in their lives, who need your touch in their lives, God. We pray that you would restore relationships between family members, between uh, you and your people, God. You are a God who redeems us and who gives us grace upon grace upon grace, chance after chance to come running back to you, God. And so, God, when we are unsure what to pray, when we don't have the words because it's just too overwhelming for us. Thank you that you gave us words so long ago through your son, Jesus Christ, when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah, so God has uh, called us to reach the world around us. That is his mission field, the world around us. You know, it's interesting because uh, I didn't see the world growing up. I grew up in a little bitty town in Missouri, Washington, Missouri, about 45 minutes outside of St. Louis. Elena grew up across the train tracks in the river, uh, in an even smaller town called Marthasville. Marthasville didn't even have their own school district. They had to bus them over to our side to go to school. Uh, Washington was like uh, 12,000 people maybe. Uh, my graduating class was about 200 people. So pretty small, smaller than Palestine for sure. And you might imagine out there in the middle of Missouri, in the Bible Belt, well, we pretty much all looked the same, right? We, we ate the same kinds of foods. We all shopped at JCPenney. We wore the same kinds of clothes. We drove the same kinds of cars. Uh, we, we went to different churches, but we worshiped the same God, essentially. Like, Washington was a, a kind of a town of sameness. That was, that, was our, uh, that was our MO. Now, of course, we had heard growing up that there were people that existed uh, that, that maybe were not like us, especially in the big city of St. Louis, Right down the road, St. Louis. Now, it's funny because I moved to Houston and realized St. Louis is not that big of a city. <laughs> St. Louis is not that big of a city. Houston's big. But, you know, for somebody in a 12,000-person town, you know, St. Louis was big. We'd also heard of this, like, there were these weird people that came from someplace called California. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Uh, or maybe south of the border in Mexico. Of course, none of these people ever ventured up into our small part of the world in Washington, except for this, this one guy. His name was Aldo. He came from Italy, and he opened a pizza joint. That's where I got my first job. But that really was about, that was about it. You know, everybody knew Aldo. <laughs> of course, you hear about these people, but you never get to meet them, but stories start floating around. You would hear things like, uh, well, you know, some people in, in other places are 
uh, dangerous, right? There's some areas that are maybe uh, prone to criminal activity. So, you know, look out for that. Uh, other people were known for maybe not being that smart uh, or maybe stingy with their money, right? You people talk. They say these things. Uh, I, I would hear that there are some groups of people that are cheaters. If you ever come across, watch, you know, watch yourself because they're, they're probably going to cheat you out of whatever it is that they want from you. Uh, other people were known as deviants, uh, mentally unwell, right? So it's funny now that I look back on it that, that our folks in Washington, Missouri, we were the only normal ones in the world, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody else had something going on except for us. Of course, these are stereotypes, right? Stereotypes. Now, I had to look up uh, the, the definition of stereotype. I went to the Internet because the Internet knows everything, right? And it's always right. Uh, the Internet says a stereotype is a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. So these are stereotypes, oversimplifications. Uh, all these people in this group are all like this. Uh, all these people are, are all like this. Of course, then, and, and, I, and I didn't know any of these terms back then, but stereotypes then lead to bias. Now, here's what the Internet says about bias. Bias is a disproportionate weight in favor of or against an idea or thing, usually in a way that is closed-minded, prejudicial, or unfair. So it's a prejudgment, right? right. So, so these stories that, pass, that were passed along to me, uh, uh, oversimplification of a group of people, then led to my uh, prejudged attitude. If I were to encounter any of these strange folks from California... Uh, this is what I can expect, right? As a prejudge, even though I never really encountered any of these people. This was all being worked out in my brain uh, just in case. Sociologists will tell you that every person on the planet walks around with stereotype stories in their heads. We all do it. We've all been past stories about other people. And all of us live with bias for and against certain groups of people based on those stories that we have been told. We can't get away from it. And because we tend to kind of circle up in like-minded groups, like we did in Washington, folks that look and think and talk just like us, well, we're largely unaware that this stuff is even happening, that we even have this inside. It's interesting because we're reading this story of Ruth and Naomi, and I am just in awe that Ruth would um, do what she did to wander from Moab into Judean territory, into a land that is not her own, with people that are not her own, with customs, and just so different. And if she knew the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, she may have been aware of what we read about last week in Deuteronomy 23. Never promote Moabite welfare or prosperity as long as you live because they withheld food and water from you in your time of need and they tried to curse you on top of it. So what's implied in that statement, right, is Moabites are mean, cruel, selfish people and they do not deserve our kindness. Blanket statement, right? And so Ruth is wandering into this place 
where this belief is held about Moabites. And perhaps bias is playing into uh, how they feel about the Moabite people. And so when Ruth ends up gleaning in a field belonging to Boaz, and Boaz shows her extraordinary kindness, you might imagine she's baffled. She is baffled. And she says, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am obviously a foreigner? And Boaz responds, well, that's easy. Because all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told to me. I know your story, how you left your father and your mother in your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know. This is the reason that I'm showing you kindness. And I wonder if some of those invisible stories that Boaz had heard and maybe subscribed to were beginning to show some cracks. Maybe something was beginning to unravel itself. I thought about uh, Philip Yancey this week. He's an author. You know Philip Yancey? Wrote a fantastic book called What's So Amazing About Grace. Y'all have pens in front of you? Pick up your pen and write that down in your bulletin. What's So Amazing About Grace? This is like in my top ten list. If I were going to give you ten books you had to read as a Christian before you died, this is one of them. What's So Amazing About Grace? Fantastic book. He wrote in this book, there was a section of this book where he's talking about um, developing grace for other people. And, and these times in our lives when uh, our perceptions of them are challenged and we come to kind of a crisis within. Like all of a sudden you realize um, maybe how you had been thinking about a certain person and how you are now starting to feel about them. And this was the case with his friend Mel. Now Mel, uh, in the book, you find out they're best buds. They've been best friends forever. Uh, Philip and Mel were in ministry together, close-knit, like real, real good kingdom-advancing ministry. And, and after years and years of this friendship, Mel just kind of opened up about his past and some a very secret and private things that he had never really told anybody before. He, he shared those with Philip. And Philip found that all of a sudden now he's rethinking things because he had ideas and thoughts about that before Mel was the one kind of talking to him about it. And I came across an interview that Philip gave after he wrote the book, people you know, said, well, tell us about this. And they said, how, how can Christians develop an attitude of grace toward the other, the Moabite, right? And Philip said, the only way that I can see is through personal exposure. It's amazing how feelings change when suddenly it's your daughter or your brother who shows up in another camp. In my case, it was my friend Mel. My issues suddenly had a face, a person with a story. And when that happened, Everything changed. I understand what he's talking about there. There's another author, Frederick Beekner. I'm just starting to get into his stuff. He writes some really good stuff. The, the sad thing is he passed away this week before I got to really know him. Presbyterian minister 
and author, he said some similar things. He said, you know, when you surround yourself with different kinds of people, you see the lines in their faces and the way they walk when they're tired. You see who their husbands and wives are. You see where they're vulnerable. You see where they're scared. You're still light years away from loving them, to be sure, but at least you see how they are human in the same ways that you are human, and at least that's a step in the right direction. In the long run, Frederick says, it may be easier to love the ones we look in the eye than the ones whom we choose not to look at at all. Right? This is what I'm seeing in this story as we read Ruth chapter 2. We often think of Boaz as the hero of this story. You will see by the end that Boaz pretty much saves the day. And so we usually think, yeah, Ruth was brave, but Boaz is the hero of this story. But as I read through this filter of these things that, that, that Philip Yancey and Frederick Buechner are saying here, I began to see that Boaz is the one who's actually having a salvation moment here, right? Because suddenly the no good Moabite who is not worthy of any favor suddenly has a face, is standing in his field. A real life person with a real life story, with real fears, real vulnerabilities. And this encounter is moving Boaz to show favor and kindness to this other that maybe he held a certain idea about prior to this. I see God working behind the scenes here. Not just for Naomi's benefit, as we're going to see. Naomi, Naomi comes out good in this story too, but this is also for Boaz. And it's all happening because Ruth was brave enough to say yes I will enter into a place that's not my own with a people who may not like me very much. But I'm going to do it because I love Naomi. And because of this, Boaz is having a change of heart. You can probably already guess where I'm going with this, folks. The series is called Better Together, right? I'm trying to show you from the scriptures that we are better together. That God has called us into community, particularly with people that are not like us. This is how God designed it. Right? I think about how Jesus himself assembled this hodgepodge of disciples that were nothing alike. What is he trying to say there? There's a purpose. There's a reasoning to this madness. Tax collectors and zealots and fishermen and people on the right, and people on the left, and Jesus, crazy enough, is putting them all at a table together. And he does this all the time. Pharisees and prostitutes, right? There's something about community, particularly community that looks different, that allows God to do awesome things. But if we spend all of our time in echo chambers, if we only get ourselves around people that look and talk and think like us, our hearts are never challenged. Our minds are never changed. We've got to be intentional about seeking out those relationships, perhaps that are outside of our comfort zones. We've got to do more listening and observing 
rather than defending or judging. And then, in those moments, when, like Philip, you find that your preconceived notions are all of a sudden in tension with the reality in front of you, that the person in front of you is now bringing those things in tension, you've got to trust God's doing something there. God's doing something in your heart. It's actually a sign of spiritual growth. And so don't be afraid of it. Lean into it and say, God, what do I need to change about myself here? What's going on here? I'm having a hard time. I don't know. As I read this, I've come to the conclusion, at least for me, I need the Ruths and the Mel's of the world to help me change and become more like Jesus. It's not something I can do on my own. I can't, I can't just sit down and read the Bible enough or, or pray at home enough. Like I've got to get out there and meet folks and see the Jesus in other people, particularly people that are not like me. I need the Ruths of the world. Maybe you do too. You see, we're better together, not be, just because, like we saw last week, that it's through community, particularly, that God moves in mighty ways. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in a special way. There's something about groupings of people that allow God to move in mighty ways. We've already seen that. But now what we're seeing today is we're better together because we help each other grow. As iron sharpens iron, it is this relationship that we become more Christ-like. And isn't that what we want in the end? Don't we want to look more like Jesus? Don't we want to love more like Jesus? I would say yes. That's why we're all here. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us is that God send you a Ruth. I hope that God sends a Ruth into your life. And you know what? I'm also praying that when that Ruth enters your life, that it turns your life upside down. That's what I'm praying for. That you find yourself in conflict. That you face maybe some of those things you were told growing up. Maybe those things that you've come to believe whatever through your social circles. That all of a sudden now, you find that in conflict because God was loved you enough to send you a Ruth. And I pray that you would give in to that and that you would seek God and that the grace of Christ would continue to transform your hearts through these relationships in the days and the weeks and the months to come. May we be a church. The folks can come in here and they say, oh yeah, yeah, I belong here. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this ancient story. It's amazing to me that we can read these stories that are thousands of years old, so far removed from our current context, and yet you breathe a fresh word through them every single time. And we see how Ruth actually brought change, the kind of change that you longed for, 
so that you could do the work that you wanted to do through this hodgepodge collection of people. And we see that again and again in Scripture. And we've got to believe that this is the same way that you are still working today. That even in this room, we have people on the right and the left and everywhere in between. We have blue collar, we have white collar, we have young, we have old. And this is exactly how you desired it to be. We don't want to be a people that runs away and tries to uh, fit into some kind of uh, box of sameness. This is your church. We're, we're just here to worship you. And so help us to be those people. And we pray that you would draw those that need to be here into this place. And when they walk in, that they would feel the love of Jesus and they would say, maybe I can go to church again. Maybe I can be with Christians. That they would find hope and they would find refuge under your wings here in this place. Lord, we know that that's going to take uh, some working on our parts. That that doesn't just happen instantly or magically but it takes a work of the Spirit in our hearts. And so we pray for that this morning. May you be glorified in all things, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is Rose's last Sunday with us. She is going to be moving. Not too, too far away, right? No, just Corsicana. Just Corsicana. <laughs> Those weird folks in Corsicana, right? <laughs> And so, even though she is not going to be here physically Sunday after Sunday, you'll always be a part of our family. And we just wanted to pray for you as you head out into this new season of life. And so I'm going to ask you guys to either come up and lay hands on her or reach forward with your hands. And we're just going to pray over her and send her off. Yeah. The Sunday school is going to be nice. Mike, will you pray? Oh, my Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Rose. She has been such a blessing. But, oh, my Lord, people in this body have no idea all the things that she has done for us, all the help that she's been, all the people she's lifted up in prayer, all the people she's comforted. Lord, we just thank you. This is a blessing that we are truly going to miss. Lord, we just pray now that she will reach out and continue her ministry of love in mm, Corsicana. Yes. Lord, just grant her that. Give us peace over losing her, Lord. Mm -hmm. But give and rejoice that the people are going to have when they, she arrives there. Lord, just bless her. Bless her. Bless her. And show her your love. Continue to work out. Amen. Continue. And we thank you. Amen. 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 All right, folks, grab the hand of the person next to you. You all can come up here if you want to. Oh, we've got gifts. We've got wow. gifts. Oh we got gifts. Look at that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. There you go. We love you, Rose. Thank you. I want to tell you something. I'm going to make y'all. You are my family. Ever since I've been Palestinian, I don't have family telling him my family goes away. It's just Virginia and her family.
So you are my family. Y'all been, been with me when I needed y'all. And I appreciate everything y'all had done for me. God bless y'all. And God be with you. Bless them. Thank you. We, you're, we'll always be family. You'll always be our family. Amen. All right, grab the hand of the person next to you and receive this blessing. Our brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you are completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you do that, I know you're going to make some mistakes, because we all do, but I need you to know when you make those mistakes, there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less. The reality is there's nothing you can do that would make God love you anymore because God's love for you is perfect and not based on your performance. That is good news, friends. God's love for us is rooted in His wonderful, amazing grace. And it is by grace, He says, I know everything there is to know about you. And I think you're the best of the best of the best. And if we could leave here today believing that, it would change everything. So I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you receive that good word and go in joy and love to serve your Lord and leave this place in peace.